You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, Elmira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizensalmira.ca. So it's good to see everyone this morning as we journey towards Christmas, two weeks to go. And um, this morning we want to look together, beginning a little series, looking together at some of the major characters, the major characters in the Christmas story. And this morning I want to look at the story of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. Next week we're going to focus on Mary, the mother of Jesus, and on Christmas Eve we'll focus on the child in the manger, what it's really all about, the Savior that was born. Now as we continue in the Advent journey, I hope that you've been enjoying that little devotional book. Um, And uh, this morning there we were reading through together on it, and uh, it was about the good news and the bad news of Christmas. And uh, it, was, it was very, very well written. What I like about that devotional is whenever I get a devotional, I always end up feeling guilty because I look at the date and it says, you know, I'm on December 6th and it's December 12th. But, but these ones are great because they have just that little wee Twitter thing. So this, this week when I had to hustle out to work and I was running a little late, we just quick read the little Twitter feed and then my guilt was assaged. And we could read the whole thing that evening when we got together for supper. So I trust if you, there's, there's a little piece, if you can only catch that Twitter, it only takes 30 seconds, read the whole thing, and then there's a little devotional at the end there to work through with your, with your children. But if you didn't have a chance to read today's, make sure you do the bad news and the good news of Christmas. Now if you have a Bible, I want you to stay on that passage we were looking at in Matthew chapter one, beginning at verse 18, and we continue this story on Joseph. Now in some ways, Joseph is almost the forgotten character in the Christmas story, and for certain, he's the quiet character. He is in every scene of the nativity with the wise men and the shepherds and and, uh, with Mary, and yet there is not one word recorded of what he said. He's the silent man in the story. If there were Oscar awards given out for the Christmas story, Joseph would be nominated as a supporting actor, hands down. He would would win that. The father of Jesus, or more correctly, the adoptive for the foster father of Jesus, is the unsung story of the Christmas uh, nativity scene. Joseph, who shows compassion and care for Mary in her time of crisis, Joseph, who takes full sacrificial responsibility for the child, even though he is only the adoptive father. He's not the natural father. And when I think about all the songs and carols of Christmas, the focus is rightly on the Savior, the King. What child is this we sang this morning? But there are also carols about shepherds, and there's carols about angels, and of course there's carols about the wise men, and there's carols about Mary. But so far as I'm aware, Joseph, did you know, has not made it to the top 10. Although, when I was searching through, I I discovered there are indeed some modern songs about about Joseph. One very interesting one by um, by the contemporary group for King and Country called Joseph Song, which was quite meaningful. But for the most part, Joseph is still the unsung hero of the story. It's interesting when we notice through scripture that we find there is nothing negative said about Joseph. When we go through the Bible characters, be it Moses or David or Peter or Paul, we find their strengths, but then we're also made aware of their weaknesses. 
But when it comes to Joseph, absolutely nothing negative is said. Everything is positive. This is an individual who's an encouragement to us all, an encouragement to parents, and in a very direct way, an encouragement to all of us who are fathers. No. Just a little short aside before we look at this story in a little detail. When I think about Joseph's role in the Christmas story, there's a thought which keeps coming to my mind, and it's a thought which I can't completely explain, and it bears a whole lot of mystery. But it's this. In some awesome way that I don't understand, the Lord actually made a choice to live in Joseph's house. Think about it. In every normal situation when a little baby is born, uh, the baby has no choice where they will be born. And, and I think I remember hearing from someone in my house at one point in time, you know, teenagers can remind you of these things, I didn't choose to be born in this house, right? But the birth of Jesus was unique in all of history because his mother Mary was divinely chosen and by the same divine will, Joseph was chosen. Joseph was a man in whose house the Lord made a choice to live. For Joseph, what an awesome privilege, but what an incredible responsibility. How could it be this baby in my arms sleeping now so peacefully? The son of God, the angel said. How could it be? Lord, I know he's not my own, not of my flesh, not of my bone. Still, Father, let this baby be the son of my love. Father, show me where I fit into this plan of yours. How can a man be father to the son of God? Lord, for all of my life, I've been a simple carpenter. How can I raise a king? What an incredible responsibility. Joseph, the one who was chosen to raise this new king. Which brings us to the question, what was it that set Joseph apart? We know from Matthew chapter 1 and the genealogy and from the Luke story that Joseph belonged to the house and the line of King David, the lineage from which it was prophesied the Messiah would come. We also know a little bit about him in that he didn't live in that town where his ancestors came from. Instead, he lived in a small backwater village called Nazareth, way in the north of Israel. We know he was a working man, a carpenter, or the word could be interpreted a builder or a tradesman. He was not wealthy or powerful. He was an ordinary citizen of a very ordinary town. It's a reminder again of a repeated Bible principle that God often uses very ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Did you get that? God uses ordinary people like you to do extraordinary things. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27 says this, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world to bring to nothing the things that are. So a few minutes this morning, I want to look in detail at the life of this man that the choice was made for Christ to live in his home. What kind of an individual was this? One who was chosen by God's sovereign grace to be Jesus' earthly father. And in his story, may we find encouragement as parents, as fathers, and now for me as a grandfather. May we learn from this ordinary, extraordinary individual. Now, Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, the text that was read, and let me read it again. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Notice that one phrase. Joseph was a just man. A just man, or the NIV interprets it, a righteous man. Here's the first thing I learned from the biblical text. Joseph was a just man. He is a good man who has just discovered he's got a serious problem. He discovers that Mary, his fiancée, the one he is betrothed to be married to, is pregnant, and he is not the father. As you're probably aware, ancient Jewish marriage practice is somewhat similar, but also somewhat different from how we practice it today. Jewish young men typically got married about 20 years old, young women about 15 or 16. Marriages were typically arranged by the parents, and the young people hoped it was with their cooperation. Sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. The relationship was legally bound together by a betrothal, which was a binding engagement period of one year. It was a legal covenant. During that time, the young people continued to live in their parents' house with no sexual relationship. If all went well and the relationship grew, at the end of the year, there would be a huge wedding celebration. When everyone would get together, sometimes it would go on for a number of days. Following that celebration, the relationship was sexually consummated and the young people would move in together and begin their life. A betrothal engagement was very serious and required a legal divorce to break it. So Joseph is deeply concerned. His betrothed, his engaged, his fiancée, the woman he deeply loves is expecting a child. And understandably, he you know, thinks the worst, obviously. And he decides he needs to end the relationship, to break the betrothal, to divorce Mary. But because Joseph was a just man, he wanted to do the right thing. He wanted to do what was morally right. But because he was a just man, a good man, he also wanted to show Mary kindness. Because he was just, he was also gracious and merciful. He could have blown up in anger. He could have looked for revenge. He could have gone hunting for the other man. And he would have been completely legally justified in publicly divorcing Mary. That was the law. It would bring shame on her and shame on her family. But he resolved to do something quite differently. As he thought about it, he wanted to end the relationship quietly and privately. He wanted to do what was right, but he wanted to do so with love because he was a just man. But you know, when it comes to this issue of doing what is right, upholding biblical moral standards, it seems to me that Christians, that we as Christians, can be guilty of two extremes. Aren't we so often guilty of two extremes? On the one extreme, we uphold moral standards and show harshness to those who fail to keep them. Or, we're all love and acceptance and ignore the clear biblical standards. But Joseph was a just man. He was a good man. He wanted to uphold what was right, but at the same time, he was gracious and merciful. Rosario Butterfield, in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, says this, Christians know there's a difference between acceptance and approval, and they courageously accept and respect people who think differently from them. They don't worry that others will misinterpret their friendship. 
Jesus dined with sinners, but he didn't sin with sinners. Jesus lived in the world, but he didn't live like the world. And so Joseph sets this example for all of us in a morally confused culture to uphold what is right, but to do so with grace and mercy. Joseph was a just man. But continue the story. Look at verse 20, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20. But as he considered, as he thought deeply, as he struggled with these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Here's the second thing I want you to notice. Not only was Joseph a just man, but Joseph was a man of faith. All of a sudden, in this moment of extreme crisis, suddenly the entire situation changes. Joseph had his well-thought-out solution to a deep personal dilemma. He lay in his bed and he considered what he would do and how he would do it and when he would do it. He must have been filled with grief and tension and filled with fear of tomorrow's decision. When suddenly something he could never have dreamed of on his own occurred. His darkness is overwhelmed by this heavenly messenger. God's word explodes into his darkness. Fear not. Take Mary as your wife. The conception is miraculous. Name the child Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And suddenly Joseph's entire world is turned upside again, upside down again. He had it all figured out. He knew what he was going to do when suddenly this angel's message points in a completely different direction. There was one thing that Joseph was completely confident of. He was certain that God had spoken into his darkness. He had, been, he had not been searching for God, but suddenly he discovers the Lord is searching for him. How will Joseph respond to this life-shattering message? Will he stick with his well-thought-out exit strategy, or will he turn 180 degrees to a whole new possibility? Let me ask you, how would you respond? How would I respond? We know how Joseph responded. In humble, accepting faith, his story changes from an exit strategy to an entrance strategy, from an escape plan to an acceptance of an adventure that he could never have dreamed of. Joseph is a man of faith. When I look at this story, there are three insights into the nature of life-changing faith that Joseph shows to me. Here's the first one. Faith is a confident trust in God's word. Did you get that? Faith is a confident trust in God's word. Leaving my old story behind, leaving my way behind, and in confident trust, putting my full dependence on what God's word says, accepting its diagnosis of my broken condition, and in saving faith, receiving what Christ has done for us. He still saves people from their sins. And the message of Christmas is still one of rescue and salvation. Faith is confident trust in God's word. But I learned something else. Faith is trusting in spite of my feelings. Joseph is feeling all kinds of turmoil and angst over the situation in which he finds himself. Anxious and torn. 
He considered these things. He struggled with them. When I was a young Christian in university, I was encouraged when someone taught me about the faith train. I haven't actually heard about the faith train later, lately, and so I thought you might want to hear about it. The engine of the faith train is facts. It's God's word, what God says. Follow behind is the, is the rail car of faith, which follows facts. Here's what God's word says, and we respond to it. At the end of the train is something which only sells ice cream sometimes, is the caboose, which is the caboose of feelings. There is facts, there is faith, there is feelings. Feelings are part of the train, but feelings don't push the train. Feelings don't lead the train. Feelings respond to what God has done. Faith, fact, faith, and feelings. Faith is confident trust. Faith is confident trust in spite of feelings. Here's the third thing. Faith is confident trust in spite of the consequences. Joseph's step of faith is not going to make his life easier. In point of fact, his life is suddenly going to become much, much more complicated. Rather than dismissing it, now Joseph is sharing in Mary's shame. But because of his faith, he will also share in Mary's joy. Listen, the message is clear. Faith is not a ticket to an easy life. Faith is not a ticket to a trouble-free life. But faith is the entrance to your best life. It is the ultimate great adventure of time and forever. Recently, I had a chance to see the, the movie, The Most Reluctant Convert, which is the story of C.S. Lewis's faith and the story of how he experiences this joyful faith. And when the heavenly message bursts into Lewis's life, not that he says he was looking for God, but that God found him. Man's search for God, says Lewis, you might as well talk of the mouse's search for the cat. No, said Lewis, I finally let God be God, the most reluctant convert in all of England. Faith is trust in spite of my feelings, in spite of the consequences. Continue the story. Matthew 1, verse 24. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph was a just man. Joseph was a man of faith. But in this passage, we discover his obedience is emphasized. He had been instructed by the Lord's angels two instructions. Take Mary as your wife. Call the child Jesus. What does he do? He takes Mary as his wife. He calls the child Jesus. He did exactly what he was instructed to do, something that I find so difficult, just to do what I'm told to do. Joseph is noted as the man who obeys. Each time he receives a prompt from the Lord, what does he do? He obeys. There's danger in Bethlehem, we learn in Matthew chapter 2. Go to Egypt. What does he do? Goes to Egypt. Herod is dead. It's time to head home. What does he do? He heads home. Watch out for Herod's son, Archelaus. He goes to Nazareth. When I read through the Bible and God tells people to do things, like Moses, he told Moses to do something. What did Moses do? He, he, he complained. 
We heard the story of Jonah when he was told to go to Nineveh. What did he do? He went the opposite direction. But Joseph obeys. And there's a huge lesson to learn here. We can only experience the benefits and blessings of our faith when we obey, when we actually do what we say we believe. Obedience is doing what it is we profess to believe. That's faith. But his faith brought to him to a place of safety and blessing. He experienced it fully when he obeyed. God in Christ does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He rescues, renews, and forgives us. Now we acknowledge his leadership, his lordship, by doing what he says, we obey. Joseph was a man of faith, but he was a man of obedience. In his book, Hidden Christmas, Tim Keller makes this insightful application on the passage. The angel tells Joseph what he is to name his boy. In that patriarchal culture, it was the father's absolute right to name his child. He had the complete rights over his children, and naming them was a sign of his control. The father named the child. But the angel takes that right away from Joseph. By refusing to let him name the child himself, the angel is saying, if Jesus is in your life, you're not his manager. This child who is about to be born is your manager. He is Jesus, not only your child, but your Savior. Christ in your life, Jesus in your home, it means change is coming. Keller continues, and he applies it for what it means to us as Christians in the 21st century. If Christ comes into your life, you don't control him. He controls you. To become a Christian, you're going to have to have the courage to do something that our culture thinks is crazy. You're going to have to commit yourself to denying yourself. We are told in our society, to thine own self be true, that we must work to fulfill our dreams and satisfy our desires. But there's huge problems with this philosophy. It starts with the fact that our feelings change, and at any given moment, they may be in conflict with one another. The Christian calling is shocking. Modern people need bravery to give up their right to self-determination. If you want Jesus, you have to obey him unconditionally. Joseph obeyed unconditionally. A just man, a man of faith, a man who obeyed. Continue with me in the story and turn to the next chapter, Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. Now when they, that is the magi, the wise men, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And Joseph rose, it appears he rose in the night, and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Look at verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, which was Herod's rather nasty son, was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there and been warned in a dream. He withdrew to the district of Galilee. 
and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. For Joseph, the protection of his child Jesus and his wife Mary is of absolute first importance. On becoming aware of the impending threat from Herod's rage, he immediately flees to the safety of Egypt. It appears he jumped out of his bed, he got everything together, and he left that same night before the sun rose. Whatever else was on Joseph's agenda for the next day was erased. This was his priority. And when Herod dies, Joseph returns to Israel, but not back to Bethlehem where he had wanted to go or appeared to go, but instead he goes back way up to Nazareth where he originally came from, 200 kilometers to the north, because it was a safe place for his family. It was about as far away from Herod's palace as you could be and still be in Israel. The physical welfare of Jesus and Mary was of utmost importance in Joseph's mind. The escape to Egypt was not primarily for Joseph's benefit, it was for his family's benefit. Settling in Nazareth may or may not have been Joseph's first choice, but it was the safest place for the child, and that was what counted. For Joseph, that child's life was his priority. Now thankfully in Canada today, we don't have to flee to save our children's lives. In Canada, our children are physically safe. But as parents, as fathers, we may need to make hard decisions to keep our children emotionally and spiritually safe. We may have to turn down that promotion so the family unit can remain stable. We may have to say no to opportunities and possibilities which could put your family at risk. In life's big decisions, we need to include the children's interests as well as our own. Perhaps we need to sacrifice financially so our children's educational and spiritual needs can be met. On the wall of my home office, there, there's a plaque, and I'm not exactly sure where it came from. We were having a little discussion of this. I think maybe Sharon gave it to me. And given that I have three boys, it certainly directly applies to my life. But you can change the gender from mom to dad and from boy to girl, but this is my little story. I may never be as clever as my neighbor down the street. I may never be as wealthy as some other men I meet. I may never have the glory that some other men have had, but I've got to be successful as that little fellow's dad. There are certain dreams I cherish that I'd like to see come true. There are things I would accomplish ere my working time is through, but the task my heart is set on is no mere passing fad. I just want to be successful as that little fellow's dad. It's the one job that I dream of. It's the task I think of most. For if I fail that growing youngster, I have nothing else to boast. For though wealth and fame I'd gather, all my future would be sad if I failed to be successful as that little fellow's dad. I may never come to glory. I may never gather gold. Men may count me as a failure when my business life is told. But if he who follows after shall be godly, I'll be glad for I'll know I've been successful as that little fellow's dad. As a father, making my children a priority, and particularly in 21st century Canada, is an absolute critically important thing to do. I don't know how, how, how strongly I could say that. The success of your child 
depends primarily on the mother and the father, period. You need a village to raise the child. You need support, you need extended family, you need all kinds of things. You need the church. Don't count on the school system. That comes from a former trustee. Mom and dads, if your child is to grow up to follow Christ, it depends primarily on your activity. I mean, it's God's work, but you are the vehicle. For Joseph, protecting the life of the child he was given was his priority. He's a just man, a man of faith, a man who obeyed, and a man who was courageous in protecting the child. He's an example to all of us, an encouragement for parents and a guiding light for every father. Dr. David Jeremiah says this, why Joseph? To fulfill his plan, God needed a carpenter. He needed a man who was sturdy, stable, and practical, yet sensitive to the voice of God. You know, as far as history and scripture informs us, Joseph was not a rich man, he was not a theologian, I'm pretty sure he never preached a sermon. He didn't write a book, know that for sure. He didn't have some political office, he wasn't famous, but he serves as an example of a good man who we need to follow. E.M. Blakelock, the New Zealand classic scholar, said this, the world would be a sweeter place were there more like Joseph. A good society is built of such good men and good women. Contented men who do the work they are fitted to do, men who do their best, leave their, love their families, and leave no mark of evil on the world's marred face. I like this picture. Joseph was a man that the Lord made a choice to live in his house. Isn't that powerful? May my life be lived in such a way that it is an open door for the Lord's presence, even today. There's a great old Christmas carol, and we're going to sing it together. It goes like this, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, live with us, be with us, be in our homes and in our lives. Our Lord, Emmanuel. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the timeless story of your servant Joseph, a man of faith, a man of obedience, a man of integrity. Encourage us with his wonderful example. We ask that our homes would be places where your presence is welcome. Would our lives be lived so that your love would be displayed in us, that you would abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel, through Jesus Christ. Amen.